Blog Talk Radio. Gentlemen, welcome back to another special edition of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. This is your USA versus Ghana postgame show as the United States goes out and defeats Ghana by a final of four goals to nil. And before we get into the game, I'd like to introduce my special uh, panel guest for tonight. Uh, just like Jordan Morris got his first cap for the U.S. men's national team coming out of the University of Stanford, Stanford in California, well, I'm about to give this college media uh, student an opportunity uh, to come on my show to talk about this big international friendly. Joining me from Fordham University, a uh, television journalist student, the one and only James Burley joining me because he also covers the New York Rebels for Fordham University's program uh, covering all the major sports teams in the New York, New Jersey tri-state area. James, uh, thank you for taking the invitation and welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for such a nice introduction, Dan. Uh, I'm really excited to get into this. And yeah, a big win for the U.S. against an old rival. Um, A lot of fun watching that, especially in the first half. Uh, Not so much in the second half, but yeah, really excited to get into this one. And thanks again for having me. No, absolutely. And thanks for coming on. You know, I also agree with you right there. That opening 45, just like the last match against Germany, uh, scoring more than a goal, obviously, but they were really in tune. They were really attacking Ghana's back line. They were challenging the keeper. And just an absolute barrage of goals that just came out of nowhere. And it was just a fun one to watch, wasn't it? Yeah, it was an absolute onslaught in the first half in in ways that, you know, the second half against Germany was so disappointing in that they hardly ever got a hold of the ball in the attacking third that you really thought, well, is more of this going to continue? And, well, right from the start, they made it very clear that it wasn't. Um, I I turned away for one second, and I found out Christian Pulisic had a penalty, and the second I get back downstairs to look at the TV, Balogun scoring a goal. So uh, I, I certainly didn't expect them to come out that that hot, but I wanted to see a response from from Saturday's game, and that, that surely was was more than what I expected and wanted. So I was very pleased. Very true, and I really enjoyed that as well. Um, you know what we always talk about in, especially with the U.S. men's national team, the plethora of attacking players. What Pulisic has been doing, along with Musa at AC Milan, what. Balogun is doing at Monaco, what Tim Weah and Weston McKennie are doing at Juventus, and of course Gio Reyna, who looks like he is the catalyst in the middle of the park in the midfield to make the offense go, and he proved it once again in this matchup that he does make the world, or shall we say, make the ball do amazing things and gives life to the attacking front of this men's national team. Absolutely. I mean, I I don't think you could put it any better than that. Um, allowing him to step into the middle of the park has not only 
you know, allowed him to get on the ball more and in better areas, but it's also given him the keys to be a little bit more free and a little bit more uh, carefree about where he can go and try to move the ball. When he'd get it on the wings, he'd be forced to making a lot of narrow down the field type of runs. And I, I don't think he's that type of player. I think he's the type of player who likes to get it, likes to be able to turn and combine. And, you know, he still gets into those wide areas. I think Greg Berhalter's made an effort in telling him to get higher up the field. And you see him get high up the field with the ball so much, combining with Wea, Pulisic, Balogun, whoever it may be up there. But he's also doing a lot of work in progressing the ball when they are in their own half. And I, I think that's giving him the opportunities to do those things. It's not only shown the world what type of player he can be, but it's also allowed the team to just make things that much easier on themselves in the middle when they have a creative piece who can just unlock the space around him through the defense in ways that I, I honestly don't think we've, I've, I, in my lifetime, at least I've seen a U.S. player who, who seemed to just get the game to come to them as, as easily as it feels like it does for Gio Reyna when he plays in the middle. And I know it's only a short sample. We've only seen it for, I think, the one game against Canada in the Nations League uh, earlier this summer, and then brief uh, pieces of each of these last two matches against Germany and Ghana. But it's been, it's been that, uh, that promising, at least in my opinion, moving forward, that he can be that important of a piece. And it, I think he's honestly crucial to the way this U.S. team wants to play moving forward. Absolutely, and I also believe that once he gains uh, full fitness again and plays regularly oh, yeah. for Borussia Dortmund back in the Bundesliga, he'll definitely play more than just the 45 minutes he got in both of these friendlies uh, for the United States. So let's go ahead and delve into the first goal. Um, you know, Tim Weah, I mean, he does well playing wide uh, in the front three in this 4-3-3 uh, setup for Greg Berhalter, how he brings up the ball, and then with that wicked cross from the, far, from the right side, how he's able to deliver that ball straight into the middle. And even though Reyna didn't get it originally because the, the pass was blocked a little bit, but still, it wasn't handled by the defender good enough, and Reyna still was able to tee off that shot to get the opening goal. Yeah, I, I really... I agree about Wea, just his ability on the wing. He he brings so much power and pace to the position. Um, and I know that's long been a characteristic of many American players, but he also brings about an attacking flair with the ball that I don't think we've had in players prior to him, at least uh, in the winger position. Um, and he was so good today. I, I, I really wish he got a goal today because he would have he would have earned one with how good and how much he just exploited um, whether it was whether it was Sadu or Mensa, because he played against each of the fullbacks, they switched in the second half, and he had his way with both of them. Uh, he was absolutely cutting through every bit of space, and yeah, his service can be very dynamic in the way he just whips it across. That's tough to deal with, and Reyna, the late runner, I, I think that's something that Bearhalter's emphasized before. He's talked about he wants players arriving in the box late. He emphasizes this wide play to create these chances when things go wrong for the defense, as they did many times today for Ghana, as um, we've seen in, in, in gold cups where Greg Berhalter's visions come to life, I think particularly in 2021 in some of those matches. So uh, for, for when it, when it falls to plan, it, it looks really great. And I think it certainly did on that first goal. Uh, Reina just did enough to get into the right spot at the right time and finish it off. Um, and you just saw like what it meant to him in that moment. I know he got another one later, but that first one, he was just enjoying it, it so much. And it's such an important thing for him with, I mean, everybody knows what went on with him personally, whether 
whether you had something to say about it or not, it's a tough thing to go through for any player, especially one that young and one who has so much expectations now on his shoulders. So for him to get a goal, I, I was very happy about it. Me too. Absolutely. Cause that's what you want. You want your best players on this national team to go out there and not just to contribute, but to dominate the way they did against Ghana tonight at Geodas Park over in Nashville, Tennessee. Second goal, Tim Weah once again involved inside the Ghanaian area, got tripped up by the defender, penalty right away, referee points to the spot, and Pulisic converts it and was right down the middle. How about that? Well, I, I honestly love a penalty down the middle. Uh, statistically, it's the highest percentage of, of penalties that go in or ones that go down the middle. Uh, logic won't tell you that because the goalkeeper stands in the middle, but, you know, they have to dive one way or the other most likely. So I do love that from Pulisic. But as far as as far as far the actual setup of, of the of the play goes, yeah, it's Tim, Tim Way again. It was a strange challenge from he's going away from goal in the penalty area. It was, it was really a gift, but that – that second, that that moment, I think, just when they realized they were about to go down 2-0 is really when the game just flipped wide open. You saw the pressure later from just a few minutes culminates in just an easy goal for Balogun. And, and I, I really think that, that putting the pressure on right after scoring, uh, that's what that's what did it for the U.S. Um, they, they found a weakness, exploited it, went after it, and yeah, it, it, it ended up being good recognition from Wea to draw the contact and just a confident penalty from Pulisic. So it's nothing, nothing you can complain about there. Nothing at all. And then, of course, later on, not really so much later, but maybe a couple of minutes later, uh, Balogun, what a smash. What a smasher he put on that ball. Once again, way of doing it again. Officially, only one assist out of the first three goals that he got um, in this friendly. Of course, the blocked pass. The taking the foul inside the penalty area and once again down the far side another cross right to Balogun who spins smashes it 3-0 top in it was beautiful yeah and it starts with that early pressure higher up on the pitch that you know I, I really loved that the U.S. are emphasizing that because of the profile of players we have in those areas we, we talk about how we are loaded up front with attacking talent and especially on the wings well if we can turn that attacking talent into defending from the front because we know some of our weaknesses are defending in the back so i I really love when the u.s puts an emphasis on uh defending in the front in those areas where teams are going to be vulnerable in possession and and maybe that's the 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 red bull influence coming out from me but regardless I, i think it's it's a it's the right way to play especially with just the makeup of this team and the high energy they were just feeding off of these good moments, right? And they were just building and building and building, and it kept snowballing, and 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 it ultimately ended up being a first-half route. Uh, the third one is just is a grit goal. You know, you go for it, you want it, and then you just smack it into the top corner. Uh, you love to see those types of goals, even if it's just a friendly. Uh, I think at, at this point, and really for a lot of the second half, Ghana kind of just uh, felt – let the game go a bit. Maybe we're just passengers here and there, but at this this point, the match was done and dusted for me. And I was really happy to see that it was another, another moment of Tim Weah just going above and beyond. Uh, I really think only one assist and that's the only thing he gets on the score sheet, but he was clearly, clearly the man of the match in my opinion. 
Something strange happened on that fourth goal and before it was scored. And uh, I'll be honest with you, I've never seen it before. And if you are aware of the ruling, you can inform us if you if you do know it about that law uh, in the game. Apparently, the Ghanaian defender um, was battling out. It looked like with either Balogun or Wea, and he. I don't think he got fouled. I, mean, I guess he tried to sell a foul, but he landed on the ball, kind of sat on it, and just stopped playing. And then the referee called for, which it looked like an indirect free kick. Have you seen that before? Because I have not. So I think technically it's it's I we've all. At least I don't know if we've all heard this. Maybe maybe we haven't. But growing up playing soccer in this country, there was especially at a young age, there was always the the calls for fouls when someone was on the ground and would kick it. Someone on the other team would always yell, "Ref, he's playing on the ground. That's a foul." And then when you get older, you learn that's not really a foul. You've kind of just misinterpreted another foul, which is an indirect free kick is awarded to a team if, in the opinion of the referee, a player is playing in a dangerous manner. And generally, when someone sits on the ball, they're playing in a dangerous manner because they're inviting people to come and then kick him. It's, you're becoming a danger to yourself, and thus the ref can give a foul. It's not always given, but in this case it was. Um, I'm assuming that is the interpretation of the referee. Um, I mean, when you looked at it, it certainly didn't look right. It definitely didn't look normal uh, when he just propped his legs over the ball so no one could get to it. Um, I think it's probably a fair decision to have given a foul thinking back to it. And the, the free kick in the end was uh, ended up being a really good routine. I normally don't love when an indirect free kick is just you have one player tap it and then you smash it. I think it's very predictable. I like something a little bit more coordinated, but they ended up mixing in another pass. And I think it put off the Ghanaian defense just enough for Reyna to have a path to, you know, fork it home into the, eventually into the upper corner of the net as it took a deflection and nestled into the top shelf. So in the end, it was like a pretty great moment because those free kicks are always so interesting to watch when there's an indirect free kick in the penalty area. And yeah, you don't normally see a foul like that uh, uh, ever called, but I guess it just, just enough for it to be considered dangerous uh, manner to be playing in. Now, I'll admit, when the referee put his arm up, I thought there was an offside. I thought he saw the offside flag, and that's why I thought he originally put his arm up, because I'm thinking to myself, maybe the pass was offside and the call was delayed. was not thinking of indirect free kick at that point in time on my end. So thank you very much, James, for informing us about uh, what that law is in the game. And, uh, you know... Great job by the U.S. to convert that chance on the indirect free kick. A little bit of a, as we hockey fans love to say, a bit of tic-tac-toe and into the top shelf. So that was absolutely fantastic to watch. And as we've already said, an excellent 45, a ho-hum second 45 in the second half. But still, though, the game was well out of reach, and the United States gets a a, a firm victory uh, to make it 4-0. Overall, what did you think of the match overall once again? Yeah, I, I think you summed it up pretty well. The, the the first half was an absolute barrage of goals. You, you you love to see that. They were playing with not just, you know, creativity and flair in the attack, but with enjoyment and emotion. And that's something that they didn't have at all in the second half against Germany. They had essentially no character displayed, not, not much passion really it looked like. Uh, I thought maybe Brendan Aronson brought something off the bench in that game, but not much else. 
And then in the second half, yeah, not much went down, but, you know, they closed out the game in a professional way. They never really had to put out any fires. And I felt like the entire last 50, 55 minutes of the Germany game, all they were doing was putting out fires. So to, to get a different look and to get a different feel from this game is something that I'm sure all the players enjoyed, all the fans in the stadium enjoyed. And as a fan watching at home, I definitely enjoyed um, it's always good when you, you know, put a hurting on a team, especially after a loss. Uh, and when your your big players show up and score goals, it's even better. So uh, overall, it, it it was a very positive response to the Germany game. Um, and the window as a whole, it's uh, a bit of a tricky one because you know the the opponent level drops based, based compared to Saturday, but it's still a tough team that you know competes at World Cups pretty regularly. So this is a this is an important win. It's something to build off. Absolutely, and I agree with you there. Matt Turner really wasn't bothered much. Had that one big save in the 41st minute, and uh, then made a nice grab on that corner and tried to distribute the ball quickly. Nothing came of it, unfortunately. But still, though, um, once again, this match was an excellent 90 minutes for Greg Berhalter and the U.S. men's national team. And now all we have to do, uh, James, is await the final results in the CONCACAF Nations League League A Group A matches. Uh, Currently, as the standings are, Trinidad-Tobago in first place undefeated with nine points, Panama in second place with seven points, Martinique in third with six points. And it's those three games they have to be careful with. Currently, Trinidad is losing to Curaçao, who are already in the relegated for League B into the next edition. It's 5-3 Curaçao, Panama leading two goals to nil on Guatemala. But the one result that Trinidad has to watch out for is El Salvador hosting Martinique. And if Martinique gets a win, that will knock out Trinidad unless Trinidad can score two more goals. Because if they can get a draw, they'll be safely through into the quarterfinals. And once again, James, whoever reaches the quarterfinals of the Nations League in League A will play for the opportunity against the top four ranked clubs in, excuse me, nations in CONCACAF to qualify for the Copa America for 2024 next summer. And how exciting is that as a soccer fan not just Gold Cups, not just Nations League tournaments, but the Copa America coming next summer and the World Cup coming in 2026. I mean, what what more could you want as a soccer fan? There's there's nothing that brings together people more than international soccer. And to have two of the biggest tournaments, well, first of all, the biggest tournament in the world of all of sports, the biggest sporting event ever, 2026. It's going to break all the records of previous World Cups before it. It's going to be an incredible spectacle. And then we sort of have this teaser before it in the Copa America, which is in and of itself this grand tournament of incredible footballing empires of the Western world that, you know, I've, I remember going to games in Philadelphia, the 2016 Copa America Centenario, watching the U.S. And that was some of, some of the most fun I've ever had watching the sport. So I, I am super, super stoked as a fan. Um, I think the, the way that this final match day is going I'm uh, looking at the Nations League scores. Trinidad letting Curaçao spoil the party away from them after Curaçao fell short against Panama, despite having like a, a talented roster. I did not expect it to go this way. So that, and I thought Trinidad were coming back after you know a really rough period. They looked like they were coming back to establish themselves in the region once again. 
but unfortunately not with this loss. They could still be in it unless Martinique and El Salvador shape up a different way. But regardless, that is an Absolutely. interesting turn of events in League A. Absolutely. No, absolutely it is. And currently at this point in time, Panama just added a third goal to make it 3-0 in second half stoppage time. All three League A matches uh, in Group A are already in second half stoppage time. And as I've already said, Panama just scored to make it 3-0. It's still a scoreless draw between El Salvador and Martinique. And Trinidad is falling to Curaçao away in on the Dutch island 5-3. And it should be interesting to see what's going to happen and uh, who the U.S. will play against. Currently, uh, Jamaica and Honduras, who have qualified, uh, Jamaica has 10 points, Honduras has 7 points. With this victory by Panama, without a doubt, they'll finish off with 10 points, so they will advance. But it all depends on what goes on with Martinique away at El Salvador. And uh, obviously it looks like Trinidad will have a losing result against them against Curaçao as they are down two goals. They're down five goals to three. Um, World Cup qualifying, once again, South America is uh, shaping up to be a fun one once again as we quickly go at the scores. How about Uruguay defeating Brazil two goals to nil and unfortunately for the five-time World Cup champions, Neymar leaves with a leg injury in the middle of the second half. Yeah, that that's the big takeaway from it. Not even the result is that everyone's talking about Neymar going down. And the result itself is massive too. But the, Neymar is, is one of those players who just transcends the game and transcends whatever team he is on. It, 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 that's That's a big blow, not only because he's one of the ambassadors of the sport across the world, but Brazil have many more important qualifying matches going forward. Um, and if it's really a serious injury, like he's had a history of having, it looks like it might've been his Achilles. Um, they could be seriously out of luck for a long run. And, you know, that's such a crazy thing to even think about Brazil having trouble qualifying for a world cup, but without Neymar today, they lost. And that's something they didn't do in all 17 matches that they played qualifying for the 2022 world cup. They won 14 and drew three. So, it's really worrying, not only from a soccer fan perspective in that one of the great players of the world, Neymar, is now injured once again, and you never want to see that, but this could spell disaster for Brazil. But it also potentially opens the door now for one of the most competitive fields in all of World Cup qualifying that only allows four and a half bids, despite the fact that so many teams below the line would have no trouble qualifying in CONCACAF or perhaps Asia. So I think that it could make the qualifying uh, opportunities that much more interesting for countries on the precipice like Paraguay or Peru or, or lately Chile who have fallen off and are looking to get back to their best. So I, I think while it's a, a tragic uh, uh, update, a tragic development for, for one, it could be an opportunity for another. Uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing if that race heats up at all for some countries that we don't normally see come through uh, to the World Cup in South America. Other scores in South American Bowl World Cup qualifying. It's halftime uh, as Peru is hosting Argentina. And, well, Argentina is winning at the moment two goals to nil. And guess who's back, James? Lionel Messi <laughs> back in the starting 11, scoring two goals already, two in 10 minutes in the 32nd and 42nd minute. He's take, he took his break. He took his rest. 
He's all healed up, and he's back to where he's uh, belonging, back for Argentina and scoring like the dangerous man that he is. Yeah, it feels so weird because it don't, it, like he just won the World Cup. That was 10 months ago. And to see him back, and you, it's almost like his return to the national team, right, that he's done this after making the move to Inter-Miami. But he's still messy. And I, I don't think that's surprising anybody that he's got a first-half brace and World Cup qualifying again. Um, on a bit of a selfish note, though, I'm a little upset he didn't choose to play in Miami's final two games this uh, this week. Maybe he plays on the weekend, but they have a big game. Hopefully they take points away from Charlotte so they don't make the Red Bulls' uh, chances any much more difficult. But I understand Messi's decision to go play in an important World Cup qualifier. His Inter-Miami have already been em- eliminated from the MLS Cup playoffs, so that's neither here nor there. But for, to see him come back and, and do what he does best for Argentina, it's not only the expectation and it's not only something that we're not surprised about. It's something that we enjoy seeing because he truly is the best there's ever been. Absolutely. Uh, other scores as well in South America, Venezuela defeating Chile 3-0, Ecuador and Colombia on a nil-nil draw, and Paraguay defeating Bolivia by a goal to nil and earning the clean sheet is New York Red Bulls goalkeeper Carlos Coronel, who made the one-time switch from Brazil to Paraguay. I believe it was his mother that is uh, Paraguayan descent. Uh, He earns his first victory as the goalkeeper of Paraguay and his first clean sheet as the goalkeeper of Paraguay. How about that? Yeah, that's that's such an achievement. I mean, to think about just the the, the player that he's been. It, we we've known him. We've got to see him up close. We've gotten to speak to him, or at least through a translator with him. And that he is such a stand-up guy and such a good, talented goalkeeper. That yeah, he was never going to be able to break through at the Brazilian national team level. But he always was a top top keeper in this league since his time joining the Red Bulls and. To see him finally reach a victory, I think it was his fourth or fifth match with with Paraguay, not including uh, all the qualifiers and friendlies he's played in. But it's it's a terrific achievement for him personally. It's something that Red Bulls fans should be proud of, knowing him and the, just the player that he is and how important he is to the team. That He's not even been a member of the Red Bulls for that long, but he's just that presence that he has uh, about him. Uh, everyone sort of looks up to him. He is a leader naturally. And for him to step into the Paraguay national team, become the starter. And now they have a building block of a performance now to move off of in World Cup qualifying. It is at home against Bolivia statistically and historically the easiest fixture in Conmebol World Cup qualifying, but you have to get that first win. And they've got 14 more matches now to string together a few more and potentially finish among the top five and qualify for the World Cup in the U.S. Absolutely. Finals now in the Nations League uh, for October in League A and Group A. Panama defeating Guatemala 3-0. Curaçao defeating Trinidad Tobago 5-3. Still in second half stoppage time between El Salvador and Martinique. And that, at the moment, is still a scoreless draw. And um, that's the one that Trinidad has to watch. And now it's official. It is now, it says, finished. El Salvador nil, Martinique nil. So Trinidad and Tobago survive this final day in the group phase of League A in Group A 
and they will remain on top as Martinique draws scoreless with El Salvador. And that is a big sigh of relief. And once again, Panama, they also have seven, uh, excuse me, they have uh, 10 points moving up to the top spot while Trinidad and Tobago take the second spot. And uh, now we're going to find out who uh, the USA will face in the quarterfinals of the Nations League next month between Panama, Honduras, Jamaica, Trinidad, and Tobago, James, who do you think the U.S. will be playing against? Well, I think they're going to want to play against uh, the likes of Trinidad and Tobago because, well, they come in probably with the, I would say, the weakest resume of the four teams that are going through. Panama, I would say, is the one you really want to avoid the most, although Jamaica on paper probably have the most talent, probably have the most players. Uh, Panama have been playing consistently the best football now uh, for, I would say, since the latter half of World Cup qualifying um, is when they've really started to change things around. I can't say that they should trouble the U.S. to a point where they'd be nervous. I know they took the Gold Cup from them in the semifinal, but that was a very different U.S. team. This is going to be a full-strength team qualifying for Copa America. Uh, Thomas Christensen's Panamanian side, though, is probably the one that I would want to avoid. Uh, as for Honduras, they've been trending upwards after an abysmal 2022 qualifying campaign. And the Jamaicans have looked like they're turning a bit of a corner themselves with regards to playing up to their potential and not uh, disappointing with some of the players they've brought in. They've got a consistent stream now of the same sort of players being called up and accepting call-ups, which is not something that they've had in the past, where they've had talented players with uh, English roots and Jamaican backgrounds coming in and out of the national team. Now that they've got players who are committed and they have a consistent group coming uh, regularly for their international windows, I think that makes Jamaica a more uh, dangerous opponent as well. So hopefully it would be Trinidad and Tobago. And if you had to have a second choice, Honduras, you want to avoid the two group winners, though, in Jamaica and Panama. Absolutely, and I agree with you there as well. Um, right now, uh, they have a very good head coach at this point in time. I understand he is the uh, former uh, national team head coach of Iceland, who is uh, running Jamaica at this point in time. So they're going to be dangerous. Um, and you know what? I, you know, I feel good for Trinidad and Tobago, even though – uh, they lost here to Curacao, unfortunately. I guess it was bound to happen anyway. You know, you can't really sustain going on a four-match unbeaten streak in group in group play. But uh, I feel like Trinidad is also starting to turn a corner as well. But we'll see if it's as profound as what Jamaica has done. That's the big question mark going forward here. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, definitely, definitely a positive from Trinidad, um, and, and a surprise uh, on paper. You don't think that Curacao um, should be as far down in the in the table as, as they are, but they've had trouble getting consistent play uh, ever since they started to bring in some more Dutch-based players into their national team. And Trinidad have kind of had that consistent uh, bit since, I would say, since the early 2010s where they've gone generally from players from the island. And, and, and it's brought about an identity. It, it, it Maybe people say it's a sacrifice of talent that they don't, 
pull from players coming out of England, but they, they have this identity now that they've reestablished since the failure of both people, people forget that they are 2018 was a big failure for Trinidad and Tobago too. They finished last in, in world cup qualifying then and 2022, they, they didn't even make the final stage of qualifying. So they're in a, in a, a massive transitional period and I, they're still without their best player in Levi Garcia. So their most dangerous player in attack and, and arguably their second most dangerous player after him and Kevin Molino, not in the squad. And they still did what they did in the first three matches. Uh, to go up against Curacao, though, Curacao have a strong team uh, written down on paper. And I think finally they got it to, to fall into place. Uh, it came at the right, wrong time for them, just too little too late. And it came at the right time for Trinidad as, you know, they had already done enough damage in the group to, to have uh, enough points in their back pocket to go on through. Very true. Very true. And that's a great observation from you there uh, on this whole situation over in CONCACAF. Um, What at the end of the day, you know, when you see the difference once again between the match against Germany and this match against Ghana, what has made you happy? But at the same time, what gives you concerns? Because obviously, look, world ranking wise. Germany's in the top 20 ranking in the world. Ghana's ranked 60, even though they're ranked 11th in Africa. What concerns you about this record that they're four, four, and five against top 20 ranked teams in FIFA that they're not able to get a result? I I think it's a valid question, and and I know a lot of people – um, gen- generally, you know, bigger fans of the national team exclusively uh, really point to that as as a big criticism for Bearhalter, as many cr- do criticize him. As someone who doesn't criticize him as strongly as those who do, um, I, I I have to concede as that as a point of criticism against Bearhalter in the sense that they haven't put together a super convincing performance against one of the powers of world football. I said that in my report on the U.S. Germany game is that they really only imposed their will and played the way that they wanted to play for 30, 35 minutes of that match. And that's good. That's a starting point, but you have to be able to build off that. And for that to happen, you need to be able to play these teams that are that good in a string of matches. And that's why the Copa America is so valuable because realistically, you're not going to be able to just schedule an international window against Brazil England, and then the Netherlands the next day, uh, especially geographically where we're situated in the world. That's not going to be easy. To have a window against Germany and Ghana is probably just about as good as we can ask for. And as for the, the, the only issue I have with that discussion is that it's done based on the FIFA world rankings, which is an inherently flawed system. I mean, we're ahead of Germany in the rankings right now. Um, shouldn't be the case at all. They're a much better team than we are, and they sort of always have been. And, and, they, and I think they, continue, they will continue to be for a long time, even if they're on a downward trend and the U.S. is on an upward trend. That's just the reality of the situation. Um, I think, though, it, it, there's something to be said about a team that can n- not necessarily be greater than the sum of their parts, but can get it done against teams that are better than them, that when they're not on their A game, when they're not controlling the game, can still be effective. And that's something that I think the U.S. are going to have to learn to be good at going into the 2026 World Cup when we're going to be at home 
and we're going to be hopefully deep into that tournament playing teams that are on paper and on the pitch better than us, but we can still come away with the result because we know how to play against those types of teams. So that's why it's important that, yeah, we schedule friendlies, but more importantly than friendlies, when we have the chance to play in a tournament like the Copa America, you, you can take use of it and you really use every opportunity you can to get used to those to those matches where you're playing high-level opponents week in, week out, because that's just not the case uh, in, in the U.S. And that's okay, because we play against who we play geographically for a reason. That's the way world football works, and that's the way you qualify for tournaments. But when you're at those tournaments, you got to show up. So with that in mind, let's, let's use this newfound momentum after this great half and uh, good – great first half and good second half against Ghana uh, moving forward uh, to qualify for the Copa America and ultimately have a good showing at the Copa America. Absolutely. So here is the situation right now on these matchups. Now, currently, CONCACAF has their September rankings uh, on their website. They're probably also the same rankings on FIFA as well, as Mexico is ranked first, the United States is ranked second, Canada is ranked third, and Panama is ranked fourth. So that would mean the highest ranked group winner, uh, which is currently right now, uh, I would say, actually I have that incorrect here. Hold on one second. I want to make sure I have this correct information on me. They have nine points. It's not what I had down originally, so let me just fix my math. So at the moment, we have Jamaica with 10 points, Panama with 10 points, uh, Panama with a plus four on the differential. So let's see where Jamaica is. They're a plus five, so it looks like it will be Jamaica who has a plus five on the differential, I believe will be the first tiebreaker, will face Mexico. And then the second highest ranked preceded team, which will be the United States, and they'll take on the best group runner up. So that would mean they will face Trinidad and Tobago, who has nine points. So then the third ranked uh, team, which is Canada, they will take on the next best group winner, and that will be Panama. And Honduras will take on Costa Rica. And uh, once again, that's going to be a big matchup. And it's going to be a goal aggregate affair in November James, and uh, how do you feel about that, the United States, the possibility of facing uh, Trinidad-Tobago? Well, I think when you put those opponents together, U.S.-Trinidad, you think of one of two dates, October 10th, 2017, you think of Cuba, or you think of the shot heard around the world with Paul Caligiuri. It's a historic matchup in this region for obvious reasons for the U.S. and qualifying for the World Cup. It's going to be a little different uh, in qualifying for not only the Nations League finals, but also the Copa America. I think the U.S. should be confident about the match. They're clearly going to be the favorite in that one, and uh, they just can't let it get to their heads like they did in 2017. Um, this is very much a different USA team, but it's going to be a pretty different Trinidad team too, with the exception of, I think, Alvin Jones, who still is holding down the right back position uh, six years later after he scored that wonder strike against the U.S. in Cuba. So 
I think there's going to be it's, it's good memories against against those guys and and some not so good memories, but I think the U.S. should take care of business. Before we say goodnight, I want to give you the opportunity to explain to the audience about Fordham University's journalism program, why you're able to cover not just the New York Red Bulls, but of course other opportunities for yourself and your fellow classmates and students from the past and students for the future, why they're able to cover Major League Baseball games, NFL games, NHL games, NBA games, and Major League Soccer matches. Yeah, yeah, that's a it's a good question. Um, so I work as a beat reporter, as an on-air host and a producer, WFUV Sports Radio Station, uh, 90.7 FM in New York City. It's uh, Fordham University's flagship radio station. Uh, it's a 50,000-watt uh, location in the Bronx uh, here on our Rose Hill campus, um, which uh, an area you're very familiar with yourself, Dan. Um, we I have the privilege of having one of the most robust radio stations uh, college stations in the country um, and in the area. So being in the biggest media market in the world, the, our sports section has a lot of privileges in getting to cover not only uh, our sports here at the college level at Fordham, which I've had a privilege and a, a great time being able to cover, but we also get to do professional sports. So I've gotten to cover my favorite teams of all time in the New York Red Bulls, the New Jersey Devils. And just this weekend on Saturday, was able to go to Hartford, Connecticut to be able to cover the U.S. men's national team for the first time ever. So, yeah, it's been a dream come true to be able to uh, do what I've done through the opportunities that uh, Fordham and WFUV have given me. Um, They have a tremendous program here with so many talented young journalists and and producers and and engineers that really just do so much work in in trying to just tell stories. Uh, And in my experience, I only really work with the sports people. Um, It's just a bunch of people passionate about sports and passionate about telling stories uh, the right way. And I'm so privileged to be a part of this group, and and I've loved every second of it. Um, And, yeah, it's brought me to some pretty cool places. I've gotten to call games on television, gotten to visit places in person and talk to pro athletes and get on fun shows like this one uh, after big U.S. men's national team wins over old rivals like Ghana. So, yeah, I've enjoyed every second of the past two years and counting here at Fordham. Absolutely. Well, I'm very glad that you're uh, choosing this profession. Obviously, we got to see who are the next great uh, journalists and broadcasters that are going to go forward. And uh, are you going to be the next Michael Kay or the next uh, great Nick broadcaster? What's going to happen here? Oh, uh, I don't know if I can fill those shoes uh, uh, just yet, but I, I mean, this is strange enough, but I mean, I've always, I've always had a, uh, the vision that on MSG networks, the New York Red Bulls and New Jersey Devils, my two favorite sports teams were both commentated by the same person for most of my childhood. And that was Steve Cangelosi, who is one of the greats. Um, he currently works for Apple TV, MLS season pass. So MSG does no longer does the Red Bulls, but I always thought uh, growing up that it would be great if my, my ultimate, my dream job was to be Steve's replacement for both the Devils and Red Bulls as their lead play-by-play. Um, unfortunately, it's probably not going to work out that way. Uh, the Red Bulls are not on MSG anymore, but uh, hopefully something something along those lines, and I'd be very grateful. Uh, so that, w- that, would be, that would be it. 
Absolutely. Well, James, listen, thank you very much for joining me tonight, and thank you for giving me your insights on the match here, as well as your other expertise involving uh, World Cup qualifying and CONCACAF as well. Uh, hope to talk to you again soon, and let's see what happens on Decision Day this upcoming weekend. Yeah, thanks again, Dan. Really fun talking with you, talking U.S. national team. I hope uh, – I know the odds don't look like it, but I hope that we get the chance to see each other at Red Bull Arena again before 2024. All right. Well, have a good night and talk to you soon. Thanks. Good night, Dan. Good night there. And that's James Burley from, of course, covering sports at Fordham University's uh, journalism programs. Uh, once again, the United States defeating Ghana by a final of four goals to nil. Uh, not confirming the opponent yet, but check social media and CONCACAF and U.S. soccer websites to see who they will be facing in November in the goal aggregate round at the quarterfinals of the CONCACAF Nations League and League A. Once again, for James Burley, I'm Daniel Feuerstein. This has been the Feuerstein's Five American Soccer Show, USA hosting Ghana post-game show, and once again, the United States defeating Ghana by a final of four goals to nil. Have a good night. Take care so long. And as always, please enjoy your football. Talk to you next Tuesday. Take care so long. And bye-bye for now.